Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. And today we have big news. In honor of springtime's arrival, Yumiko is offering a special in-store discount to our New York City listeners. Show that you are subscribed to Conversations on Dance at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your in-store purchase. For store hours, visit yumiko.com and be sure to follow along on Instagram at Yumiko to participate in their weekly giveaways and to stay updated on all things 2021. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we welcome back Phil Chan and Georgina Paskogan, founders of The Final Bow for Yellowface. We first spoke with Gina in 2017 in episode 52 and with Phil in May of 2020 in episode 186. This dynamic duo shares with us some background on their organization and their advocacy efforts. We chat about what they have been up to over the past year and what they are working towards in the years to come. You also won't want to miss their extraordinary digital festival happening now. This month, Final Bow for Yellowface is hosting the 10,000 Dreams virtual choreography event as an occasion to celebrate a different choreographer of Asian descent every day of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. This programming is designed to help elevate Asian American choreographic voices and push past the negative racial tropes that have permeated famous ballets in the past. For more information and to watch, visit yellowface.org. Hi, Phil. Hi, Gina. Uh, we're so excited to have both of you back on. We've never had you together. So um, yeah, it's it's really lovely that we were able to work this out. Gina is joining us from the West Coast. So um, we, we're just so happy, happy to have both of you back. Thank you for having us. 
I was just looking up when we last spoke with both of you so that I always, you know, we like to let our listeners know if they want to go back here, the original episodes with the two of you. And Gina, you haven't been on since 2017. We were just saying before we started recording that you were in a leg brace. You had torn your ACL. Is that what happened? Yeah, completely blew it out. Gone. And just coming off of a cat's run and trying to reinsert back into what is what was life before it, it all imploded again at New York City Ballet. Right. And then um, you had surgery, right? I had surgery and then there was the whole shift and change in the institution. And it just that was a crazy year. And then we started buying a Bacriello face that mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <clears throat> it's our fifth year anniversary. Uh, so, great. Congrats, you guys. I mean, did you guys think that this project would last that long? And did you have long-term goals like that? Yeah. Lots of nodding is happening. <laughs> just some nods, just some nods. <laughs> I know we didn't, well, I don't think, did we talk to you about that, Gina, then? I don't think so, because I think it hadn't maybe started just yet. No, it, it had yeah. not started. We were just, um, at that point in the summer, I was, I think I was, was it summer? It was like May, it was like springtime, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. The spring season, right. yeah. Yeah. And I think that we were, Still in development process of talking about diversity and what that mm-hmm. means and what inclusion means at the New York City Ballet, and we hadn't really gone into uh, the the meat and potatoes of that. So that that conversation that Phil and I have shared so many times with with Peter, and you got to give him his credit there that mm-hmm. he did make changes. Um, that that happened later in the fall, I believe. Phil, mm-hmm. yeah, that- it, was, it was right before. Yeah, it was right before Nutcracker. It was like because uh, I remember I was going off somewhere, um, you know, and I was like, "This is it. It's Thanksgiving next week. Like, I, I'm going home to see my family. Like, you know, it's now or never." And right. uh, you know, it, it it all happened really quickly that year. You know, mm-hmm. it was a quick conversation with Peter, and he was able to just change a little bit of the the choreography, just change the makeup and like put in a new hat and and some new headpieces for the the ladies. And uh, it, it wasn't, you know, major surgery. It was, mm-hmm. you know, just a little cosmetics on the mm-hmm. on the edges. But yeah, and and you know, at this point, five years out, pretty much every major American ballet company has signed the pledge. Um, the Paris Opera just like name dropped us in their diversity report. Like that was crazy you know like here's like the institution that louis the 14th founded and like they're willing to listen and they're willing to change mm-hmm. and i think honestly like that was the part that we were like Ooh. oh that's never gonna happen <laughs> right you know, like like the russian companies don't it's never gonna happen paris opera it's never gonna happen it's just they're just never right. you know you have 400 years of history mm-hmm. weighing down on you it's right. never I, gonna happen i have to say that's really impressive when i think about it just I think it was 2015 or 16, whenever Benjamin was at Paris Opera, um, there was this big uproar about him eliminating blackface from Viadere. People really thought that it was, you know, how dare you like rid us of this tradition? It's a part of our history. You know, that obviously we've all heard that argument a million times over. It's part of history. Well, it's like, actually, not really. Like it's like these things. The history is change. If you Mm -hmm. actually... What has always been historic is that ballet has always changed. Mm-hmm. So this idea that it's supposed to be frozen in time, like that's a that's a new radical idea because like, mm-hmm. we've never done it that way. You know, look at how much Swan Lake has changed. Petty Paw would not even recognize 
what we present as Swan Lake anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And no one bats an eye. Right. So it's like, if we're willing to change some things, what about how we portray people of color? Especially if we want diverse audiences, mm-hmm. we have diverse donors and look at our companies now, they're diverse. <clears throat> Isn't it super awkward when you have black women dancing as happy slaves in La Corsair? Like, isn't that awkward? Do we really want to see that? You know, so mm-hmm. I think people are starting to think about these things um, with just with a little bit more nuance and, and mm-hmm. trying to think with a more global, multicultural lens. Thing, mm-hmm. well said, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm curious when um, you guys are talking about you know speaking with Peter right at that you know, that time. And so I guess it was like in 2017. Was that kind of when you guys started this initiative and when you started to see it as becoming something bigger, like you started with New York City Ballet and then was it like, wow, where can we go from here? What else can we do? Or were you guys already like, we want to go through this whole process and we want to kind of impact all the companies in the country? Gina? I think the thought was when I got the, so first I like called Phil and was like, I'm on my way to rehearsal, but I'm pretty sure Debbie Coolish or Peter Martins is going to call you. Bye. <laughs> so, like, he thought that was obviously a prank. Was mm-hmm. not a prank. The, and then he came back and he was like, Gina, I think they're going to change the Chinese divertissement. And I was like, no. And it, it happened. I remember you know, like I crutched over, Phil and I saw the changes individually. Mm-hmm. Um, watched it we both had this emotional reaction to it and then we just thought like what if we go bigger like we can't just let this we can't just let this stop here like this isn't it's not just about city ballet making a change it's about ballet as an art form embracing this need to recognize this huge blind spot Mm -hmm. so um then Phil, because Phil and I, because we're people of action, we're like, what can we do? What's a way to empower people? What's easy? And so we made a pledge. And then Phil was like, hey, look, this website's like $11.99 a month. Like, we should just do this. And I was like, okay, I'm like just doing, I'm doing squats all day, Phil. Let's do this. <laughs> um, so that, in a nutshell, it was coming from a place of empowerment. So we bought yellowface.org. And we put up a pledge and then it, it, it really was just Phil and I committing to each other in, as partners in this and calling everyone that we knew, like grassroots efforts. Mm-hmm. And we said like, hey, you know, like we're, we're, we are going to start this. It's like January and no one wants to talk about Nutcracker in January, but we're letting you know that we are going to do a full push come September. So you have from January to September to start thinking about how get new costumes. <laughs> well, no, just it, not like it wasn't like a directive. Sure, but sure, it was, sure. Yeah. Just, like, have it on the radar because we are going to speak loudly about this, and we want mm-hmm. to we want to set you up to succeed. Right, Phil. Do you yeah. want? To yeah, I mean, I, I think that was that was really <laughs> the approach, and then also I think it was just trying to be a little bit more passive in our advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Gina and I both had busy day jobs. Like we couldn't do this as a job. And so like we needed a way to let the conversation happen, let people come to us. And, and I think that's why education has played such a big part in our work. You know, yellowface.org is a, is a resource. There's content there that you can go to to start thinking about this conversation in a more nuanced way. And again, it's not just about Asian people, it's all non-white people. Um, who and how they're portrayed mm-hmm. outside of Europe, you know, and this, through this Eurocentric lens, 
you know, what are some, what are some ways to talk about this stuff? What are some resources? What are some other uh, examples of this? So um, I think it's because of that angle and because we let people come to us when they were ready to sign the pledge, as opposed to calling out productions or calling out individuals. Um, people really listen. They really wanted to absorb the message and they've woven it into their larger diversity practice as organizations and individuals. So I think that's, um, you know, that's a byproduct of this work, but I think very much um, in our approach because we realized we only had to reach say the top 10 artistic directors in the country. And then it would just trickle down, you know, cause like every little dance school in America is gonna say, well, if I wanna prepare my kid to go and become a principal dancer at ABT, that's their best practice. So I need to get my kid ready to go into that space right. and do the best thing, you know, and, and perform at that level. And if I'm stuck in the, you know, 19th century, it's not gonna help my little dancer become a principal dancer in the 21st century. Right. I'm curious what the reactions were like from most directors. Was there, was it primarily like a lack of awareness, like, like a, oh, wow, I never thought about that sort of thing. Or was there actual resistance and like um, clinging to what they perceived to be a tradition? Uh, yeah, I, um, it sort of runs the gamut. We had, mm -hmm. we, we, what we actually found uh, was that this conversation was happening on the ground a lot mm -hmm. um, locally, like, Adam Sklut was doing this in 2010 um, when he, you know, made it was Ballet West's 50th anniversary. And so he used that as an opportunity to refresh the dance and go back to another Christensen brother variation that was mm -hmm. more respectful, which was a sort of a dragon dance. Um, you know, Peter Boll had been doing this work already in Pacific mm -hmm. Northwest Ballet and like good on him because they have a big Asian population in, in the Pacific Northwest region and, and, it's really important to get this issue right because odds are that's going to be a lot of your audience and your money and your right. board members and your students. So um, there were folks on the ground who are already doing this work. And so we were able to consolidate this um, and, and to collectively say, we're all going to do this work now and we're all going to raise the bar in terms of how we represent people of color. And there were folks at first who I, I remember very distinctly, one artistic director said, um, well, our production um, portrays Chinese people, and that's how Chinese people looked in that time, in that that time period. So it's actually historically correct um, in terms of the representation. And so I'm sorry that you're offended, but that's actually history. And my response was, man, you have 5,000 years of Chinese culture to draw inspiration from, and you choose the ugliest slur, you know, that's just, that's disappointing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's it really has run, um, you know, the range of, of of where people stand. But you know, like I said, at this point, um, pretty much every major American ballet company is is at least on board and, and starting to have these conversations. Right. And I think that's where Gene and I are like, okay, so at this point, what's the flip side of this coin? We've got rid gotten rid of this practice of yellow face. So in in some ways, we're sort of, you know, succeeding in that way. But now the, the flip side of that is like, okay, so we're doing by a dare every season. Um, you know, it's, it's this European fantasy of Indian people. And we're going to Indian people because, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, come on in. We want you to drop your kids off at our ballet schools and be subscribers and, and buy tickets, you know, and join the board. Um, but here's this 
fantasy version of you that isn't is pretends to be about you but isn't really about you mm-hmm. um now like give us your board dues like it doesn't work that way right. you know like it's just a, like human nature you, you you go see that and you say oh i don't really belong here i'm not i'm not at the story of the center of the story mm-hmm. um and so yeah you know what if i have the choice i'd rather drop my kids off to the classical indian dance school down the street because i know that she'll get an experience with her heritage that's deeper than whatever this nonsense is. Right. Right. And so like ballet companies, you know, so we need to decide in this moment, like, are we this European dance folk dance form? And we just, that's just history. Or are we relevant for people alive today? Mm. Are we, are we trying to serve a multiracial audience? Are we trying to serve with a multiracial company? You know, so imagine keeping by Adair without having to pretend the whole cast is Indian. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we do that? You know, and that's, right. I think what, and then the other side of that too is we do by Adair every season, but where are the Asian voices? Where are the Asian choreographers? It's, I, I have to admit, it's much better at the regional level. The smaller companies mm-hmm. are really doing this work. But you look at some of the bigger companies and it's just like season after season, you know, there, there's some artistic directors who've never commissioned an Asian choreographer during their entire tenure. Mm-hmm. And that's just whatever. It's it's not an individual person. It's like we've just set up a culture. We've set up it where the board doesn't see it, where the artistic director doesn't see it, and where we aren't actively trying to build a pipeline mm-hmm. to nurture these artists. That's That's where we are right now. So I think a lot of this next phase of our work, you know, and with this 10,000 Dreams Festival, is to promote Asian voices, to say, hey, not all these folks are going to be ready. Some of them are to make a main stage production, but hire them from your, for your school. Nurture these artists to make them the next George Balanchine. We're here. We're all working. We're all hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's build that pipeline to develop that next choreography mm-hmm. star who so- happens to be Asian American. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, so we definitely want to talk about 10,000 Dreams, but I before we get into that, um, Nutcracker is just the, it's the most obvious, the most important starting point. You know, it's, I think, probably tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people see it every year. Um, but with Chinese, you know, it's a one and a half minute dance. You can, you can alter it more easily. Whereas like some of the more racially problematic ballets like Corsair and Bayadair, it kind of permeates the whole thing. What do, what do you do about something like that? Like that is something where I feel like I can imagine an artistic director would be more um, reticent to come along and be like, like Chinese is good because it's just like, they're like, okay, I can feel good about myself because we fixed this one and a half minute thing. And it actually didn't really like cause me any nightmares, but like Bayadair, you have to, it's like you'll have to do a new production. Right. How do we get people on board with that when it's the money issue, kind of? Before Paul jumps in to explain that, it's like it's more than just the one and a half minute diversement of Chinese. Mm-hmm. We're talking mm-hmm. about the Nutcracker, which is a, a basically a trip around the world in two hours, and like that is usually the gateway to mm-hmm. people coming to see ballet, particularly <clears throat> their first ballet. So it's usually the first ballet children see, our children. Why can't we tell that story better through a global lens rather than one single white Eurocentric lens? Mm-hmm. That's like just the, that, that, that it sounds easier, 
but it takes an acknowledgement. And what I think mm-hmm. Will and I have been trying to do in expanding this work is to have artistic directors stand up and be like, okay, there's work to be done here. It's not right. just about pro like the same old programming isn't going to work for audiences anymore. And it's not going to work for artists anymore mm-hmm. either. It's like all the way around. And so like Bill's come up with some really awesome ideas on how to be creative <laughs> and on how to change the paradigm and show it and tell this, tell the same story. We're not mm-hmm. going to get rid of it. Right. We're not, we're not canceling the nutcracker we're not canceling like Corsair and I can't say canceling at all by Adair but like Bill has a wonderful way to flip the flip the script all right so let's talk about by Adair. what do we like about it right we like the Minka score it's like it's his probably one of his best ones mm-hmm. we like that as a dancer you get these the real classical experience of dancing something with transitions musicality phrasing that you don't get anywhere else. It's a, a one of the best examples of like Russian grand spectacle. Like, what else mm-hmm. do we like about Bayadere? What do you shades. like about Bayadere? Bi- I like the shades. I, mean, right? I can just shades I, I can sh- I can leave the rest to be honest. Which is like <laughs> right. if you just watch the shades, then you're not dealing with like the caricatures. Correct. So I mean, it's it, it's a leotard ballet. Yeah. You know? it, exactly. Essentially, um, but but yeah. So I mean, there's but there's all of this other you know richness embedded in by Adair that like we can't just throw away mm-hmm. the problem is it's like this it's the entire ballet done as an orientalist fantasy mm-hmm. is structurally unsound um so it's you know how do we keep the choreography and how do we change the you know change the how we dress it up so if you think about creole giselle dance theater of harlem mm-hmm. um they took that story about some abstract Austrian person and made it about us as a mm-hmm. person of color. And so suddenly it, it means something different, you know, when you put yourself at the center of the story. So what would Bayadere look like with, instead of a European center, a multiracial center, so that a multiracial company and a multiracial audience compatible. Um, so thinking about what is at the heart of Bayadere, it's a love story, it's a love triangle, right? It's, and the power dynamic is there's like a, a woman who is less on, on the rise, you know, she's on the up. Uh, there's a man sort of, you know, also on the rise. And then there's this woman who wants the man, you know, as the rival, you know, that's mm-hmm. the, the scene. So how do you transpose that into something for people today? Um, so our version, we, and we actually have a producer for spring 2023, um, is going to take place at, um, at a dude ranch during the golden age of movie making. So like mm-hmm. 1930s Hollywood, just ballpark thinking, imagine that. And so, so imagine a movie like Girl Crazy, you know, it's like, a, like sort of a country Western musical mm-hmm. movie. And so they're, they're, they're filming a Western fantasy. If you think by is an Eastern fantasy, mm-hmm. we're turning into a Western fantasy. Um, and so you can have things like, you know, if, if you think about Singing in the Rain, um, you know, Nakia is Debbie Reynolds, Gene Kelly is Salar, and Lena Lamont is Gamzadi. You know, you, you can still have that same story and that same dynamic, but with people we recognize, not right. like this, you know, you know, some some pr- principal ballerina dressed up, you know, with a, with a, a sari, you know, right. which just looks weird now. Um, so having this setting means that you can be a black dancer you can be an asian dancer you can be a white dancer 
and everyone looks good in cowboy boots, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, 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 uh, you can, an audience member from, you know, any race, any experience can come to that and see that it's a fantasy. It's an, you know, it's a Western mm-hmm. fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to lose any of the petty pot, you know, so the, the, the right. by dares with the veils come out in our version, they're shooting a scene where it's cowgirls with lassos. Mm-hmm. So it's, they're literally like, mm-hmm. that's same choreography. They're wearing character shoes in the original one. Uh, in, in our version, they'll be wearing cowgirl boots. Mm-hmm. So we're going back to the Stepanov. Uh, we're going back to the Justaman notations. Um, and I'm working with Doug Fullington and Carla Corbis, who are both incredible artists. I'm so excited to work with them. Um, but but going and uh, actually restaging the the choreography in a very conservative way so mm-hmm. actually re- seeing some things that haven't been seen in the west before but you know we're we're, we're putting a little swing to Mingus's score you know we're adding some american instruments um, from that period jazzing it up a little bit we have a busby berkeley inspired kingdom of the shades you know art deco silver you know oh, glittering so spectacle you know like and that's the way to keep it alive it'll feel like a broadway show it'll mm-hmm. feel like um it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not a history piece. It becomes entertaining. Right. Similarly, we're doing a corsair that is, um, you know, what is corsair? It's a harem fancy. So it's an excuse to look at legs, and it's got like this sort of action movie. It's like swashbuckling and pirates, and you know, kind of it's, it's fun. So our version takes place at the Miss Ocean's beauty pageant at the Pirates Cove Casino in Atlantis Beach, um, and it's it's. They're still Corsairs, you know, they're Mm -hmm. trying to go in there. It's sort of like, imagine Miss Congeniality meets Ocean's Eleven. Mm -hmm. That's Corsair, right? Mm -hmm. And you can still, instead of the the big garden, this fantasy garden, it's a beauty pageant. Um, And and so you can have all of that, all of the story without the anti-Semitism, without the sexism. Actually, our Pasha is going to be played by a a woman Mm -hmm. and travesty. Uh, so, which is also a ballet tradition, mm-hmm. um, and she's going to be the, the so the 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 pasha is going to be the owner of the casino, who also organized the beauty pageant, who believes that if you're famous enough, uh, women will let you grab them wherever you want. <laughs> um, not like anybody we know, um, not, but like totally if you think about the pasha, who is mm-hmm. that character? Is you know in the original Orientalist version, he's just like some dopey, horny Arab dude, right? <laughs> Um, but how do you make that about us (coughs) instead of them? Mm -hmm. So who's our version of that? Who's our Mr. Me Too? And when you do it that way, it's commentary. And especially having a woman play this role, you can ham up the the chauvinist kind Mm -hmm. of sexy parts and it becomes funny, but also it says, hey, men, cut it out. Right. Men, check yourselves. You know, this is gross. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. And so we're taking this originally sexist, racist trope and turning it into a mirror to ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, to actually be able to say something about our behavior today. And so, and it's campy, it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. The story doesn't matter. So lighten up guys, let's have some fun. So that's a way I believe we can keep tradition um, while being inclusive to people of color and audiences of color, frankly. Mm -hmm. So Phil, when we talked to you last time, you gave us some of these ideas. We knew some of this was in your mind. How have you guys worked over the past? Because the last time we talked to you was in May of 2020. So we're looking at a year later. How have you guys been working throughout this year to like make these sorts of things come to fruition? Well, I mean, May of 2020, 
Phil and I, we were just like in our respective COVID quarantines. Yeah. <laughs> and Phil calls up and he's like, I have an idea. I was like, okay. He's like, let's interview a different Asian American person every day. It'll be easy. It'll be fun. We're lonely. It'll be fine. <laughs> and I'm we're, like, we're just like, we're just going to call our friends. That's it. We're just like call our friends and mm-hmm. like have a conversation. Easy. <laughs> And, and so, of course, like when Phil and I get together, we're like, duh, yes, it's a great idea. We should do that. And you yeah. I mean, bit off more than we could do. <laughs> <laughs> well, 31 interviews is a lot. 31 okay. interviews is a lot. And I love you, fellow dancers, but getting dancers to commit to schedule globally, <laughs> it's like herding cats. Yeah. <laughs> but we somehow ended up making it, splitting it evenly. We are figuring out how to use Zoom. We do not have your fancy microphones. <laughs> we had like, technical difficulties. We did not take into account sound. Um, but we basically produced this TV show. And so like, that was May. Then um, fast forwarding through the summer, um, Bill and I kind of, like I've been trying to keep in some sort of semblance of shape the whole year. But then we were like, what go- Nutcracker is going to come up. It's probably not going to happen. What are we going to do? Then we came up with another amazing idea and did Mystery Nutcracker Theater, which if you haven't watched, you need to take three <laughs> minutes on the toilet and just watch it. <laughs> Tell us where we watch it. Where do our listeners watch it? The yellowface.org. Um, and, <laughs> plug it, and, plug and like it. I highly recommend like like being slightly off center when you watch it. <laughs> let's 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 just put it that way. So so just you know, have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Or, okay. you know, with whatever you need or five um, <laughs> I have a bottle of wine you, it's it's literally funnier the more inebriated you are um <laughs> many things so. are <laughs> so at one point at what point did you guys come up with the idea for Ten Thousand dreams because this is a pretty big undertaking as well it's your next big so idea <laughs> is this uh was this a similar thing like oh great idea oh let's do it and then like oh shoot like this is a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so so first of all, a few things. Um, we had the experience of that last year, so now we know, like, okay, we we have to be reasonable. Um, we also have the incredible privilege of working with Jessica Tong, who is the associate artistic director at Hubbard Street. Um, I mean, who, to COD. Yeah, we we've just we just connected over the shared advocacy. Um, Hubbard Street actually stepped up to produce this series called Unboxed, which mm-hmm. they commissioned three Chinese choreographers to reimagine the Nutcracker Tea on, on our own terms. Um, and so she was already thinking about this work and chewing on it. And we were like, oh, girl, get on board. Like, come on, let's do this. <laughs> and she's also like the same kind of crazy that Gina and I are. <laughs> like, like, she's like a doer and she can like, she's just going to just just going to do it. And so, um, you know, just the three of us put together this this list of choreographers because, um, you know, just looking at the landscape of the Bayadaires, but no Asians mm-hmm. um, as, as well represented, uh, we wanted to ask companies to say, hey, by 2025, for those of you who haven't, can you commit to commissioning an Asian choreographer mm-hmm. for a main stage production? And, you know, we, we don't just want to challenge you on this. We want to help you succeed because right. that's like a big part of our advocacy. Um, so we're going to give you 31 choreographers this year. Tune in every day. Watch them. If there's somebody you see some potential there, if there's someone you want to work with right away, um, let us connect you. 
but also this is a chance for not only you to be introduced to these choreographers via like a, a panel or like some kind of review process. Um, all of us, we all get to share these works that, that might otherwise be invisible or, or just not on our radars. Because I think that's a common experience that Asian Americans feel invisible or siloed in, in our experiences. So we're, we're drawing attention to these choreographers' work and making sure that it's seen and appreciated. And like, so follow all these choreographers. You have 31, all of you who have Instagram accounts, you have 31 new choreographers to follow on Instagram. Yay. You know, like, you know, that's that's how we, you know, make our, our work and our field more equitable and, and inclusive. So what I would like to know is how did you find these 31 choreographers and are all of them already established choreographers or did you find people who were like, I really want an opportunity to choreograph? Who are these 31 new people we get to follow on Instagram? Well, we created an, a, an Asian creative database and we asked people to like, hey, if you're interested, you want to be in this list that we're just going on the Google cool. Doc. Like, hey, like we want, we, we are empowering people to to use their own voice, not just like have Phil and I just drag them through the door, which we will if we need to, but we'd rather <laughs> you not, we'd rather you'd advocate for yourself. There were some people that I have worked with in the past that I thought could uh, benefit from a, a platform or have this opportunity to showcase their work. And listen, we're all coming out of a barren time of mm -hmm. no creativity. This gave, it, it's, as an as a dancer myself, it felt like how can we celebrate choreography and this like eventual bloom and revolution of art gets bound to happen in this time. Right. We are right. yeah. we are in a we are not only in a civil revolution, but we are like in like in ballet. There's mm -hmm. so we are so ripe for change and to take the next step forward. We're so close. Um, for me, just like people who. I who have been on the ground doing the work. And mm -hmm. so it was a lot of voluntary. We did have to, we, we sought out some people and, and then it's not all established choreographers. There are some people right. who cool. are still currently dancers who don't, are not trying to be put in the choreography lane yet, but like mm -hmm. want a chance to like, Hey, I have right. this, I also have this interest mm -hmm. and this could be something that I want to do in the future. Please don't pigeonhole me in any sort of box yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's, um, you know, this, uh, it's a similar thing to when, uh, you know, a few years ago, when finally companies started making a push for women to have um, more of a, ro a role as choreographers. And it's the same thing. It's like people don't, you, you know, you don't want to, um, the way, it, what it makes me think of is how, if you don't have that opportunity, if you don't have that moment, even if you're a total novice, you know, it's it's then it's never going to happen you might have a voice but if you can't start with something you how are you going to jump to like oh and now i make main stage premieres i mean well also like listen in my experience there's been a lot of money spent and wasted on ballets that have gone once on ballets oh, yeah. that have gone like six times right right, right. Sure, yeah by by voices who have had multiple chances <laughs> why, not give, why not give an opportunity to someone on a free platform and they're they have already done the work this is right it's it's and this was something in speaking about how our plans for the festival have shifted you know we wanted to do interviews and then like I called Bill and played bad cop and I was like yo we 
all those donations, we don't really necessarily have the funds to hire an editor. And I do not have the time to sit here and do 60 hours of editing again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder too, who else are you guys? I, we've talked a lot about your communications with artistic directors. Are you also communicating with choreographers? Who else in the industry do you feel like it is important to kind of carry on this discussion with? Oh, it's in, it's wildly important to have discussions across the board, but it's just, once again, it's like Phil and I, we are here to have the conversation. We are not going to knock on your door to have a conversation. We, if, if you are a listener to your local production, like that's like they, there was, um, Phil, do you remember? I can't, you'll have to find the the article she like started a whole pledge to sign to change yeah that that's powerful Mm -hmm. it's just it's this was a a woman named carrie in kansas city uh started her own change.org petition to say hey kansas city ballet let's sign this pledge let's let's do this right you know so it wasn't it wasn't saying hey phil and gina have you called ballet Mm -hmm. ballet company xyz Mm -hmm. right you know it was like, oh no, this is a problem and I have a voice and I can do it. Um, and also I think, you know, part of that too is like why I wrote my first book about, um, you know, Final Bow for Yellowface. Mm-hmm. It's, it was so that it could free Gene and I to do other things so that other people could have a tool to educate themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they could read it, they could understand it, they could process it, and then they could put that work into practice on their own. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Oh. Hard to jump in there, but you notice that he said first book, which means that there's another book coming. I, I did catch that and I, I was gonna have a that was right over my head. I just finished a fellowship with the New York Public Library where I looked at a hundred different Orientalist ballets from 1700, you know, Louis the Fourteenth Versailles, all the way to today. And like what I was asking was like, what is Orientalism? Like, why do we do it? Why is it so popular? What does it say about us? What does it say about them? And like, how do we move forward? And so this is a little spoiler alert, but what I, what I found was that Orientalism is, is probably the greatest driver of creativity and innovation within ballet as an art form. So if you think about how ballet has evolved over time, if you think about flamenco, you know, Russian uh, folk dance, Spanish dance, all influenced the technique of classical ballet as we know it today but not so much you know, Asian dances, so not Chinese or mm-hmm. Indian or, or Arabian, you know. And so, you know, if, when there's an absence of that information, but you still wanna tell those stories, then you really have to be creative and use your imagination. So you say, okay, well, if, if, if Indian people, um, you know, if we point our feet as Europeans, they, they, those Orientals probably flex their feet. And if we, uh, do the minuet and the polka and five, you know, two, three, four, and four, mm-hmm. four time. And you Orientals probably do five, four, some other mm-hmm. exotic sounding time signature. And then a generation later, artists like Valentin said, oh, flex feet, let's make it art. Mm-hmm. Or or Stravinsky said, oh, weird time signatures, let's just make that music. Mm-hmm. And then so that's what's driving innovation in the art form. And the problem now is that, you know, you have people in the color, people of color in the room and you can't just say, oh, well, we want to tell a story about, you know, magic and sex and drugs and rock and roll. And let's just set it in Persia so that we don't have to, the plot doesn't have to make sense or, you know, we can go crazy with the costumes because they don't have to be real, you know, as opposed to if we did something, say like set in New York City, um, 
you can't just put like a sparkling pink tower in the middle of New York City because everyone would know, oh, that's that's not real. That's right. New York. That's not New York. Whereas if you're like, oh, no, it's a, a Persian palace, somewhere <laughs> magical, you know, then you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do we do? How do we stay creative as an art form, as an industry, if we can't use people of color and, and other cultures to do it? So, you know, it's, it's really a guidebook for um, how to be a, a, a librettist for ballet, how to, how to update stories. Um, how to be creative as a choreographer, if you want to do narrative stories. You know, it's it's just thinking about this work in a bigger way. But it's really a, it's it's really about creativity and imagination, mm-hmm. not so much Orientalism, which is what I thought it was going to be about. But path changed. I have yeah. one quick follow up question. You guys were mentioning about Corsair and Bayadere coming in 2023. Where is it coming to? Where's the stage? How can we see it? Who are the dancers? You'll have to wait until the ink on that contract is signed before I tell you. <laughs> That's but, a great tease. Uh, but we are we are on the books. We're we're in the production schedule, and um, yeah, I'll keep you posted. It looks like we have a reason You'll be to, the first to know. bring you haul you back out onto the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's going to be many things to talk about. Phil and I are also working on a, a comedic duet, a play on a play on a story ballet. Phil and I are storytellers. So and so we, we, we're going to find a way to tell all of the stories through this love of dance. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's where I find myself feeling so hopeful in all of this is that my creativity has, uh, it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. And then like when I hear, when I sit here and I'm just like so proud of Phil and everything that he's done and taking this time and just, he is my dance historian. <laughs> <laughs> and and we think about how like we mounted Shahrazad, and as we were like learning choreography, and I was doing it with Sebastian, um, I was like, "This is just soft porn on stage." I can't believe this. <laughs> like, if we were to put that in the context of today, it would be wild. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, right. So I mean, just there's so much that we can change and change should not be as scary and as anxiety producing as sometimes we feel, especially mm-hmm. at arts institutions that have these iconic choreographers to also display. There will always be a right. time and a place for a museum piece, but we mm-hmm. can't be a museum. It's, right. The art form is too, it's too ephemeral for that. And yeah. we, need, we need new icons. Yeah. Give us new icons. Yes, absolutely. We have two icons here today with us. <laughs> yes. We're so glad you guys joined us and um, talked to us about all the amazing work that you're doing. Please let us know how we can watch the Choreography Festival and how we can follow all those great choreographers because we're definitely going to do that. Well, please go to yellowface.org and you can see you only have 24 hours to see everyone's. Okay. Um, little sample mm-hmm. but um we're figuring out a way to if i don't know i don't want to speak before we've actually discussed this so pause on that but yeah <laughs> so you go to yellowface.org <clears throat> and then you should click the donate button yes. okay <laughs> and all those dollars go to support things like this i'm guessing right all of your future projects it's 100 percent of the proceeds are going to supporting asian creatives 
making a new pipeline into the dance world, into the world we all love. That's beautiful. I, I love you guys. Thank you for coming on. It's just, it's very exciting to hear like people that are, um, you know, just willing to make the change that they want to see within their respective art form, you know, rather than just saying like, this is the problem. And, you know, I give up. You guys are really, you're, you're, you're walking the walk. Oh, I mean, like we say to each other all the time, we give up. Like, <laughs> but then well, I think that's that's why there's two of us because only one of us gets to sit in the ditch at any one time. There you go. Oh. You know, like someone someone's always like keeping keeping the movement forward. And I think it's it's just, um, <laughs> I mean, like the two of you probably know, like when mm-hmm. you can find a good collaborator in life, you know go for it. Keep running. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Partnership. And I think it's just, that's a, that's a theme, not only for Phil and I's like friendship, our professional relationship, but also just what we want to present in, in working this change into mm-hmm. these bigger companies. Is that like, this has to be an active partnership. It can't be an like a reactionary thing. It has to right. be like two equality there has to be two equal sides meeting in the middle finding finding compromise there has to be just also people people often think that gina and i are married and i have to tell them that no no i'm i'm married to a wonderful man but um yeah just just making sure we're setting the records (laughs) people have thought that about rebecca and me too people have thought we've gotten that negative Uh, all right. Well, thank you guys again for coming on and we will have you back in 2023, probably earlier. You know us. We can't stay away. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.